Hi there. Welcome to OTs Get Paid, the podcast for OT entrepreneurs, where we learn about everything you need to know to move from thinking like a therapist to acting like a CEO and making good money along the way. Are you curious how to continue to be true to your mission of helping others as an OT and get paid what you're worth? Do you want to know the best tips that add zeros to your bank account? Do you wonder how other OTs do it too? I'm your host, Trish Williams, a Canadian, a mom, a not-so-closet choir nerd, an occupational therapist of over 26 years. I spent most of those years loving my profession, but secretly wishing I could get paid a lot more. Did I feel like I had an important job that had great impact on my clients and society? Check. Did I also wish I could feel validation in that work through getting paid enough to feel financial freedom? Check, check. So finally in my 40s, as a single mom who needed to get real with my income, I built two six-figure businesses including my latest as an OT entrepreneur coach at Trish Williams Consulting. And through this, I heard the secret shame that others felt the same way too. So I'm raising my voice and raising my profile of this issue and probably raising my prices. I'm here to talk about OTs making money. So let's do like Scrooge McDuck and dive into those giant piles of gold coins and get swimming and start this episode. Welcome OT entrepreneurs to season one, episode 15 of the OT's Get Paid podcast. Today, we're talking about you've made a profit, now what? Investing with Gretchen Kingma. So a little update to how things are going around here. Things are going great. There's so many things that are happening behind the scenes at OTs Get Paid, and I wanted to give you a little update. Right now, I am taking significant steps to build my first one-to-many leveraged offer under the Trish Williams Consulting and OTs Get Paid brand. This will not be co-branded with Laura as the OT Entrepreneur Summit is, but all on my own. I've invested more into coaching, a lot more into my own coaching, and I've actually purchased coaching outside of the OT world, and that is to help me move solidly in the growth phase of this new business and even checking off some boxes in the scale phase. I'm going to be talking about more of those phases in season two of the podcast, which is coming in the fall. Now, I've done this before. I've grown a six-figure business in my bricks and mortar, private pay, and didn't have any help back then. And man... It was really fun. It's been really fun to double down and grow another six-figure company and this time have more guidance. Next, the planning has started in earnest for the OT Entrepreneur Summit Live and Laura and I have made a real money-making decision. You know, I love talking about money-making and money-breaking decisions. Well, Laura and I have decided to meet in person before the summit to plan and actually see if we have legs. (laughs) Squee! I hate saying squee, but it's just so appropriate here. We are making a money-making decision, refer to podcasts previously. I think it's podcast episode 12, where I talk about money-breaking decisions for more about what I mean by this. And this feels so decadent. We are going somewhere together. We are going to a nice resort. We are going somewhere warm. And we just 
cannot wait. This feels like a really kind of badass CEO move. I'm not going to lie. And we just can't wait. I'm sure we'll be maybe creating some reels on the side and sending you guys some, some selfies. I am hiring new team members. I'm actually hiring some full-time staff to come and work under the Trish Williams Consulting umbrella, not just contractors. This is a really big next step and I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. I'm sure I'll be talking about it more later, but it's time to get people in-house and it is time to make a money-making decision by really investing in my team and really nurturing people that can do the work that I don't do well at so that I can work in my zone of genius. With that, we are getting a bunch of new systems in place. And one that I want to share with you today is we are really starting to plan our marketing content and our marketing strategies ahead of time and in a really strategic way. I have been looking for like an outline or a template or ways of like building this long-term marketing plan month by month by month. And I've been asking on like Facebook boards, I've been asking a bunch of different trusted colleagues and nobody seems to have what I have in my mind. So I made one on my own. And when I refine it, maybe I'll share it with everybody, but I built one on my own and now we're just starting to put it into place and I'm really excited. And as you're listening to this, it is also the day after my birthday. What a joy it is to think about this going out on the 20th of July and I'm a July 19th baby and thinking about spending all this time with you and what an honor it is to have listeners. Who would have thought years and years ago as a new grad out of OT school, I'd have this thing called a podcast and I'd be sharing it with all of you. And as I take another spin around the sun, I want to make sure that I say thank you. So let's jump into today's episode. So you've made some profit. Now what? Well, the benefit is you can do more with your money now that you're making some. You've moved from feeling scared in scarcity. That's a horrible feeling. I can feel that in my chest. My chest just constricts. And you're feeling more abundant because you now have a consistent take-home owner's pay and some profit back in the company. Guys, this doesn't have to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. This doesn't even have to be thousands and thousands of dollars, but I want you to see if you're in this position, you know what I mean. And if you're not, I want you to get here. You now have that feeling. You have the systems in place. You know that you've got an offer that sells. You bring value to the table and people will pay you for it. Now you have a business and you're doing that with some consistency that you can pay yourself even a little bit and you can put some profit back into your company. So now what? Now we want your money to work for you. Why is this so important? There's a quote by Mel Abraham, and he says, wealth is not created by income. And if you're not creating wealth, you're not creating freedom. There are three pillars that I'm going to be teaching eventually, (laughs) one day, in my OTs Get Paid, I don't even know what I'm going to call it, group coaching business, I'm the group coaching course, I don't know what to call it yet. But there are three pillars, I've established that for sure, and lots of different sub-themes under those three themes and three pillars. And the first one is obviously profit. The second one is clarity, and the third is impact. And it's here under this pillar of impact that we begin to talk about a sub-theme of freedom and flexibility, and this is really, really key. If we increase our take-home, we can buy more stuff. If we want to buy more stuff, I've seen some OTs do that. Most OTs I've seen keep tons and tons of money in the bank, not even 
investing in coaching or investing in some kind of systems or investing in any profit way that helps reinvesting back into the company. It's just money sitting in the bank because they need to see four figures, five figures, six figures sitting in their savings account, their business account at all times. I want you to reconsider where to reinvest your money when you make it so that you have leveraged, not passive, (laughs) income that works for you. Here's another mistake. OTs don't talk about this. I'm going to play a word association game with you right now. Are you ready? When I say the word OT, what word comes to mind? Did the word wealth come to mind? Of course it didn't. Of course it didn't. And I'm here to shake that up. You're not a charity. You are allowed to get paid well to do the work that you love. When we talk about wealth, we talk about our legacy. And we also get to talk about the good that that money can do. And I want to give you permission to want more. I felt so alone in this, you guys. And I feel this is landing. I felt so alone, precipitated by being a single parent who was responsible for creating a life for my children and a life that I was really fortunate to grow up with and a life that I envisioned for my children, which included travel, university, extra tutoring if they required it, the ability to join a team if they wanted, the ability to go off with a friend on a holiday if they needed, the ability to buy them good organic food if I chose, the ability to have outdoor space and live in the city, all these choices that were relevant and important to me and, you know, so many more that I can't even begin to talk about that come to mind for you. And I felt so guilty that I loved being an occupational therapist and also wanted more. I wanted real money to be able to build real... Hey, it's Trish. Now that I've got your attention, I wanted to tell you about something that we are really excited about here at OTs Get Paid. This month, we are kicking off our formal, systemic, organized, planned, woohoo, referral program. With every referral of somebody that you bring to us that purchases one of our two signature programs, Road to 100K and 100K Club, we give you money. We're leaning into it. We're leaning into our brand and we're going to get you paid. At this point, we are offering $400 for people who refer someone who enrolls in our 100K Club Mastermind and $250 for somebody that enrolls in our Road to 100K Program. But we're not stopping there. Your referred member will also get access to a bonus Q&A Zoom call every month that we are doing just for new referred members with our coaches. It's going to be Q&A, ask the coach anything. How are you going to do this? The best way to do this is to connect with us via email or through DMs. We're keeping it really simple for right now. And we're saying, hey, here's their deets. Do you want us to call them? Are they going to get in touch with us? And as long as you mention each other, we will connect you and let our system wheels spin and they will get their bonuses and you will get yours. And I want to remind you, we are a company with a mission. It is to bring more wealth to more female OT entrepreneurs because we know what women do with money. They use it to better their families, 
and they use it to better their communities. So for every dollar that we generate here at OTs Get Paid every year, we give away 1% of our gross income to Dress for Success, which is a charity, an organization that's dedicated to empowering women towards financial independence. I hate to use the term win-win-win. Somebody has a better one. Please let me know. But we don't want you to keep those benefits to yourself anymore. We want your referral partner to win. We want you to win. And of course, we have a social agenda here at OTs Get Paid Wealth and leave a legacy for my family. So guess what? We're going to talk about it. And I'm going to give you permission to want more. I'm going to give you permission to take the money you earn as an OT and want more to add to your family's bottom line. I'm going to give you permission to listen here and learn as a helper to add more profit and earn more money while still being in healthcare. Business, if it's your only source of income, you need to look at your SWOT analysis, as I discussed in episode 14, which is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threat. And if business is your only source of income, let's think about those threats. Illness, a marital or partner status, COVID, there are multiple threats that can happen. And if our income is only funding our present lifestyle, how is it going to fund our future lifestyle? How do we move from that hustle, hustle, hustle to get the money to actually scaling our wealth as well? I don't want you to outspend your income. I want you to take a portion of it, invest it into the future, and then the rest becomes your lifestyle. This isn't just about money. This is about behaviors. And I don't mean skimping on lattes. That's not a behavior I'm talking about. Dave Ramsey talks a lot about this. He talks about being lean and mean and eating rice and beans and ramen and not having any debt at all. And that's not what I'm talking about. That actually doesn't build wealth. Skimping on lattes does not build wealth. It's about behaviors that can take the money that you're making and add wealth. And it also gives you the opportunity, these behaviors, to make even more money, to build more wealth. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So who is joining us to have this discussion? None other than Gretchen Kingma. Gretchen is an OT, and she's the founder of Empowered Homes. She's also a realtor with Keller Williams Realty in St. Louis. She specializes in aging in place services, home modification, and community transitions for older adults and persons with disabilities. On top of it, she is a real estate agent, and she has created one heck of an interesting business for herself. I can't wait for you to hear about her pillars. And she also believes that the word OT and the word wealth can live together. And she's going to talk about this from a real estate perspective. So to our listeners, welcome Gretchen Kingma. So thank you so much for being here, Gretchen. Yeah, thanks for having me, Trish. I'm excited. Me too. So I'm going to start with the first question that I start with everybody, and that is, how do you get paid? Meaning, tell us about yourself and what you do. Yeah, I love that question and love <laughs> that you are educating others on how OTs get paid. Thanks. I am Gretchen Kingma. I'm the owner of Empowered Homes. And how I get paid actually resembles the three pillars of my business, which consist of real estate, 
education and consultation. So the way that I get paid is through real estate sales commission on helping people buy, sell, invest in real estate. And then consultation is home assessments where I partner with local contractors and families who are doing home modifications. And I get paid by being a consultant in that realm. And then education is a new pillar for my business. And I am launching two to three e-courses this summer and fall. So those are the ways that I get paid. I love how organized you are. I love that you're like, bam, these are my pillars. (laughs) It's such a great way to stay organized and then clearly tell people what you do. This is a podcast, as I talked about in the intro, this is a podcast about investment, investing profit back into your business and where to invest money when you make it. And yet this could also be a podcast about having multiple streams of income. We're not quite focusing on that piece, but Gretchen is a great example of how you can have multiple revenue streams or pillars within the same company and skill set. So thanks for being a model to that. I love this idea. I think it's fantastic. Thanks. So tell me about the start of your own company. I ask the same question all the time. It's a phrase that I read in a book by Terry O'Reilly, and he calls it that fist on the table moment. There's like, there's got to be a better way. So what was it about that that made you decide to start Empowered Homes? I tell it the same every time that I was an occupational therapy manager at a senior Mm -hmm. care or senior living community. And I was the only OTR for four buildings on one campus. So I oversaw the skilled nursing, assisted living, memory care, and independent living all on one campus. You're kidding. Right? (laughs) That's a lot. It is a lot. And I had four CODAs that worked under me, one for each building, but I was in charge of all the assessments, of course, and then the discharges. And in between eval intervention and discharge, we would do home assessments before the client would rehab home. Or if they were moving along the continuum of care, I would assess their new place, whether it be an apartment in independent living or a shared room in skilled nursing, whatever it may be, I would assess their environment to set them up for success and decrease risk of fall, all of those OT things that we do to keep people happy and thriving Mm -hmm. in their environment. And I was just blown away by the lack of accessibility in in the community here in St. Louis immediately. But the more research I did, it's really nationally, globally, there are places that do it a lot better than the United States, just like there are with everything. But just the lack of accessibility and the lack of resources for these individuals, that was my fist on the table moment. I knew that I couldn't go back to school to be an attorney. And I knew I could not go back to school to be a physician because that was just way too much work. So I had this thought process of who else are these people meeting in the community that can advocate for them in a way that no one else is. And real estate agent popped into my mind. And so I started my business out of a very narrow mindset of, I'm just going to be the realtor that helps the older adult who's making the community transition. And yeah, that's what led me to starting Empowered Homes. And luckily it has evolved into so much more. Wow. How long ago was that? That was four and a half years ago. And did you always love working with that population? Did it kind of come naturally from a love of seniors? Yes. I I was the freak in OT school that did not (laughs) want to do peds. Everybody was about (laughs) You're talking to a form of peds therapist and I totally nod. I'm all good with that. Yep. 
Everybody wanted to do beads. And I said, I want to be a parent someday. And I don't want to ruin that. Totally. All the old people have always loved the geriatric population. There's such an organic quality to that, as opposed to being really, strategic's not the right word, but like, you know, it came from a passion. It came from seeing a need. It came from being an OTR in various settings on that campus. And, you know, there was a need and yet you didn't go out and create like market surveys or take checklists. Like it really did come from seeing a need, but also from a really organic place. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of funny. My husband and I were on a train ride to the middle of Missouri Mm -hmm. when my newborn, so I was on maternity leave, which was a pivotal moment. I just knew that I couldn't go back to the Medicare mandated role where I wasn't able to give the advice at the level that I wanted to. So we were on a train to a winery to celebrate being new parents. Mm. And I said, I think I'm going to get my real estate license. And he said, I think it's the hormones talking. Like <laughs> you have six digits of OT school debt. Like maybe wow. we should reconsider. And so it was a very organic process, like you said, but it did take a little convincing of my husband to get where I am today. I don't blame him for that reaction, <laughs> especially with the new baby in the mix. Although I will say, I believe that having a stop to our daily routine, that space allows for creativity to flow. Absolutely. And mine has been, not during COVID, and I do notice the difference, my cottage in the summer. So my best ideas have always come on my dock. Like really seriously, like I have written strategic plans on the back of not quite bar napkins, very close, (laughs) maybe coasters, right? I'm not sure I would have had the capacity to have great ideas during my mat leaves, but I'm highlighting that because I also really promote the idea of rest and the idea of a break. And that rolls into then as a CEO, not expecting everybody to have great ideas like you had, Gretchen, during mat leaves, but like give yourself CEO time. Absolutely. That's one of the pillars of OTs get paid is making sure that you have CEO days, have CEO weeks, have CEO retreats so that you can have that opportunity for creativity in a way that doesn't happen when we're in the grind. And doing it with a new baby is pretty amazing. (laughs) Or crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Or crazy. Or a little bit of both. Do you identify as an entrepreneur? I do now. I will say there was some shame initially in telling my OT colleagues that I was doing this because again, that debt piece, I know that you talk a lot about money mindset. That would be Mm -hmm. a huge one for me. I had all of this OT school debt. And I'm I'm really proud to be an occupational therapist. So to tell people like, oh yeah, I'm slinging houses. It just felt really weird, even though I knew my vision and knew my passion. It felt like it took some time to become established and be able to identify as an entrepreneur. Do you identify as one in your bones now, now that you know what entrepreneurship is all about? Are you like, oh, I actually am built for this? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a story, you know, you'll hear it on multiple OTs, Get Paid podcasts, the people I interview and start asking your friends and colleagues, people that are listening, because there's a theme of accidental entrepreneurship in OT that I haven't quite figured out yet. What do you think it is? Why do you think so many of us that became entrepreneurs, A, didn't think we were, and then B, found that we actually thrive under that? Any ideas? I think a lot of it goes to that money mindset that you talk a lot about 
And part of that is because we went into occupational therapy to be a helper, a helping profession, that altruism piece. And for me, my husband has an MBA from Washington University. And so I had been surrounded by business-minded partner and his friends and his friend group and see his growth. And I never identified as that. Mm-hmm. I, well, I didn't take any business courses. I'm not a, I'm not an entrepreneur. And then when you have an idea that you run with and you wake up one morning and you're making more money than your husband who had always been the breadwinner and you yep. pay off your OT school debt in less than five years, it's like, wait a minute. <gasps> I have something here. Like maybe I am a business owner. (laughs) Would you go back or are you just like, I'm all entrepreneur all the time? I'm all entrepreneur all the time. Yeah. I always tell people I miss, I really, really, really miss the people that I served. I do not miss clinical, traditional occupational therapy. I think that it's definitely needed to grow a path and to lay a foundation, but I don't think that I'll ever go back. You know, one day I'm going to get to the bottom of it, but that's what I mean. Like the story I keep hearing, and it was the exact same for me in more than one way. My kid's dad went to Harvard MBA. Like he's a Harvard Business School grad, and I lived on campus with him and had friends, et cetera. So lived that life, and boy, oh boy, it was no help when I decided to become an entrepreneur. In fact, it was a big hindrance. Interesting. Yeah, because I just couldn't identify. I was like, I am 100% not that. Right. And I think because I had lived in that world for so long, it created massive, massive hurdles. So it's such a great money mindset question, even though I didn't ask it as such, in that that was one of your biggest hurdles and you overcame it through trusting your gut, trusting that you knew that this was something that there was opportunity and then proving it to yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me more about these numbers. I'm really curious. You've mentioned some amazing stats. Tell us about the income goals for your company this year and where you want to get to income-wise in five years. I will say important piece of the puzzle is that I did have a business partner up until early of 2021. So in February is when I told my business partner that I wanted to run towards this kind of on my own. He was a great business partner and we were able to accomplish some really big things. Yet a lot of my vision comes from being an occupational therapist. And I feel like I felt like I was the only one that was able to hire to that vision and grow to that vision. And so a big personal goal is to hire my first full-time employee by the end of 2021. And so that is important to note because my income goals are actually the same as they were last year. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very growth-minded person. So it feels weird to have the same goal as last year, yet I am reinvesting a ton into my business this year. So my income goal for 2021 is in order to net my goal of 235,000 i must have a gross income of $343,850 and that's taking into account my state and federal taxes that i'll pay the salary of my virtual assistant whom i have hired as well as my cost of sale on the real estate side of my business so you have quite a profit margin i did in 2020 It's still pretty great. Do you know what the percentage is of that, by the way? I haven't done that math. 
I wrote it down and I don't have it in front of me, but you asked why that is. And I will say that I attribute it to Keller Williams, which is the company Mm -hmm. that holds the real estate portion of my license. Mm -hmm. They teach a profitability model of 30, 30, 40, 30% expense, 30% cost of sale and 40% profitability. This year, I will be much, much closer to that 30, 40% profitability. But last year, my expenses were nearly, nearly nothing. My CPA was banging his head just a couple of days ago when I paid my taxes because I didn't have many expenses. Wow. It's funny because so many people are trying to get leaner or higher profit margins and you're saying there's a benefit to having more expenses as investments. Am I paraphrasing that correctly? You are, you are. And that's another crazy thing that I've learned as a business owner, entrepreneur, is that here in the United States, and I I don't study tax law anywhere else. I really don't study it here. (laughs) You don't on your in your spare time, Gretchen. (laughs) But it is it's just mind-blowing how much is in our tax code to benefit small business owners that the first three, four years of my business I didn't know about and didn't take advantage of. So that's always even brand new, writing your ideas on your doc, on your coaster, you really should talk to a CPA to get your ducks in a row. Yeah. One other thing that struck me as you were talking is that as an agent, you got business training and business education from the real estate company. And I wouldn't have thought of that. Yes, that is actually... I promise you that I wasn't even planning to talk about this. So it is not a shameless Keller Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. Because you asked. Yeah, yeah. It's the reason why I chose to hang my license with a large corporation. So one, they allow us to brand our businesses as business owners. We're not just real estate agents. So we're trained from day one of getting a real estate license, how to be a business owner. And then two, they are the number one training company cross industry, not just in the real estate space by Forbes magazine for like two years in a row. So as someone from an evidence-based career where everything has to have objective data to back it up, Mm -hmm. I felt like it was really important for me to go to a training company, not just a real estate brokerage where I might have to figure it out on my own. The hat that I wear today as a podcaster with you is a total newbie. I don't know the real estate business at all. I have friends that are real estate agents, but I don't talk about a lot of the nitty gritty with them. And so, you know, I'm wearing a real newbie hat. There's people out there that might know more about the background of that. So to me, that's such good information, right? And how to extrapolate that to any other partnership that you're entering into or any other place that you decide to align yourself with. Look for education models, really. That exists. Absolutely. In, yeah, that's great. I never ever Work would have smarter, thought of that. not harder. So if there are existing <laughs> yep. systems and models that you can plug your skill set into, that's exactly what I did in becoming a real estate agent. I took everything I know from occupational therapy and just plugged it into an existing system and mm. it has worked. Wow. It's really fascinating. I'm in more the wow camp. Like, you know, I, sometimes I come into these like with a lot of knowledge and there's this time I think I'm going to be saying a lot of wow. <laughs> Before we talk about that investment in your business. So you started with that real estate license and you talk about that separation with your business partner. And I was schooled really early that business partnerships, like they're tough and you have to have very different skill sets. 
in order for it to be beneficial to both parties and different visions. So I can see the merit to starting with a partner and then deciding to pull back. That makes a lot of sense to me. Was that your experience? It was. And again, great individual, great human, Mm -hmm. yet Mm -hmm. I kid with my partner at home that marriage is really hard and you have to work really hard at your a number one marriage mm-hmm. and to have a business marriage yeah, or it be with same sex or opposite sex whoever it's with like two marriages is really hard and that's just <laughs> really it's just point. not sustainable <laughs> that is a really good point and very quotable so make a bumper <laughs> sticker for that one before it goes viral <laughs> so at what point then Again, I'm curious about the timeline. At what point did you know that you had more than just one pillar as a real estate agent under Empowered Homes? Empowered Homes with the three pillars is something that I dreamt up. It was how I wanted to create my real estate business. I never wanted to be just another realtor. And Mm -hmm. that is no knock on real estate professionals, but I know that as an occupational therapist, I have a passion and a skill set to educate and advocate for universal design and for changing of the building codes and changing of how homes are listed in our local MLSs so that more people can be homeowners. And so when I went into real estate four or five years ago, that's when I had that vision. Yet I will say that it sounds negative. It wasn't an easy button, but like you said, Starting out in real estate, my partner, his background was in construction Mm -hmm. and his brother is actually the home builder for the Mm -hmm. Gary Sinise Foundation here Mm -hmm. in Missouri. And he had built three or four smart university designed homes for wounded veterans. And so we were compatible in the sense that we had an interest in helping people with mobility issues. Yet, I think that's where it started and stopped. When I say that I'm going to charge 150 bucks an hour to go do a home assessment, and then my business partner feels that we should split that 50-50, mm-hmm. I'm the one with the occupational therapy degree. I'm the one with the home assessment knowledge. I'm the one that knows that Parkinson's disease is going to cause shuffling of gait that requires a certain type of flooring. So I just mm-hmm. felt like it was a skill set that I needed to grow on my own, if that makes sense. It does. So let's focus then about investing profit back into your business. In the second part, I'm going to ask about investing specifically in real estate, but I really want to get the sense of how you started or even knew to start to invest profit back into your business and why that's so important. I will be completely vulnerable and honest that I have Mm -hmm. not done a great job at that in the past two to three years. So Mm -hmm. this year... 2021 is the first year that I really sat down and had a strategic plan about reinvesting into my business. Mm -hmm. And that is so important because without doing so, I'm a firm believer that your growth will be stagnant. And so one piece of investment, if you will, that I'm very passionate about is leverage. And so that's the first thing that I decided to invest in my business this year was hiring that virtual assistant for 40 hours a week full-time. And that was the first time that I invested back into my business. I'm not talking about expenses because expenses are going to be in every business. And that is something that's required for operating, but a true investment back into the business, hiring leverage. That's my goal for 2021. And then 
creating digital products that I can sell to other occupational therapists and other realtors. That's been a huge investment that I have incurred or made. I just used incurred when I told you it wasn't like cost, but a huge (laughs) investment that I have made in my business this year in order to grow profitability next year. You bring up such a good point and I didn't have the words for it until now. And I think what you're saying is there's a, a dance, like an art to the science of numbers, which I always say OT is an art and a science. And it's almost like what is an expense versus what is reinvesting in your company? Yeah. Yeah. And that's like your CPA or your accountant or your bookkeeper might say one thing and you're going to say another. Right. And if I can get those investment pieces to look like a business expense on my tax return, then it's a win-win because you get the tax benefit, yet you're still investing in your business. So it it just depends what your financial goals are for your business. But it is so important to have a strategy around investing in your business. I did some quick crunching of numbers and I will invest roughly 35000 into my business in order to grow that third revenue stream that we talked about earlier. So that's the education pillar. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how you see the return on that investment. Cause you know, I'm hearing my bookkeeper in the back of my head and we'd have a great conversation, but I think at the end of the day, I'm guessing she might say, you know what? Paying a VA is an expense. Right. And you're saying paying a VA by delegating and taking $10 tasks off your plate so you can focus on those $1,000 tasks, like create an educational pillar, is an investment. Absolutely. Is it scary to do that before you've sold much or anything? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I did. So how do you get around that? A beta test in January and February and put together a seminar on occupational therapy to real estate and why I feel strongly that OTs should be in the real estate space and had over 300 people sign up Mm, within two months. And it was very high level word of mouth, one post on LinkedIn. So that was my catalyst. It says, okay, I'm just going to go for it. So I didn't really have any like objectifiable threshold that I was looking to hit, but I had 300 people in two months and thought, that's enough people for me. So that's why I'm going for it. Brilliant. You know, you talked about leveraged income. And I was listening to a podcast the other day by a gentleman named Mel Abraham. Actually, it was specifically on Tyler McCall's podcast. He has a podcast called The Online Business Show. So if you're interested, it's episode 34 and I'll link it in the show notes. Mel Abraham made great income in online service industry and now has shifted and taken his CPA background to talk about how to build wealth. I'm hearing from you that the margins in your company and empowered homes and in real estate are on the low end, just like in an online business. Like they're not the same margins of expenses and profit that a big clinic would have, right? right? Or a different type of business. So, you know, he says that Passive income is a total myth, which I totally agree with, and it's leveraged income. He talks about five different incomes. The first is that active, that one-on-one, like you have to be really involved in making that money. It's still high piece of your time. And then the second is a business model that's less reliant on you. So it's a one-to-many. And it still requires you to keep the business growing. So, you know, if you look back on your pillars, the one-on-one would be 
the real estate. Is that correct? Real estate and consulting. Yeah. yeah that's what I was going to say too. Yeah. So that educational pillar is your move to one to many. Yeah. Hopefully it goes well. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it goes well too. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Why don't we talk about what you would want from that educational pillar and how you're going to be doing that? Talk a bit more about those courses that you're developing. Yeah. So I have been extremely blessed because I was actually, this is another example of falling into entrepreneurship, but the local board of realtors here in St. Louis, St. Louis Association of Realtors, shameless plug for Instagram, because that's where I put a lot of my educational posts. They reached out to me and asked if I would put a course together for realtors on accessibility. So it's so cool. Yeah. And it was approved by our state board for CEUs. So wow. get their CEUs while learning about universal design from an OT realtor. They came to you and it has CEUs. That's amazing. Yeah. And it seems like a little bit too easy. Like yeah, exactly. I was gonna say <laughs> the fine print here. Yes, exactly. And fine print is that they will own the rights to my course until 2022 only within 60 mile radius of St. Louis. So as soon as we launch in July, I'll be able to sell that course to realtors all throughout Missouri for CEUs and then all throughout the country, but they won't be for CEUs until further credentialing. But that's what led me to creating digital courses in the first place. Somebody said, hey, we need to know more about this. Can you create this? And I said, sure, what's in it for me? (laughs) And that's what I learned. So In doing so and learning about the platforms and the investment of those engines, I decided to do two others, one for occupational therapists who are considering going into this line of work, and then a third for OTs, PTs, speech, just healthcare professionals on how to invest in real estate. Just because I feel like we didn't, and maybe it's changed since you and I have been in OT school, I highly doubt it, but I feel like I did not receive any education on how to build wealth for me and my family. So that will be what that third one is aimed at. I love this. And no, I mean, I was on faculty as recently as a few years ago at the University of Alberta, and I didn't hear that at all. In fact, in my first year at the university in 2013, anything private entrepreneurship, private practice-ish was a lunch and learn. Interesting. With me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who had a clinic under her belt and not much else. So you know, I don't know where things are at now and I don't know where things are at in different parts of the world. And this is why I wanted to talk about this second piece, not just about investing back into your business and what the outcomes can be from that, but it really is about how to invest the profits that you make into wealth. And the OTs Get Paid brand is not just to be limited by a salary. Fundamentally, I want to help OTs get paid by making money on demand and by doing the work that they love. Like that's really at the heart of it. And yet we really also need to talk about what else do you do to fund your present lifestyle and your future lifestyle. Absolutely. It might be a leap to some, and I've thought about the placement of this podcast in terms of what we're rolling out in different seasons, and it might be a little premature if people, for example, are still wrapping their heads around moving from hourly service rates to one-on-one or, you know, what else they can 
put in their ascension model outside of just clinical therapy or one product that you might be making. And yet there are people that are past that. And I also think it's really inspirational for people that are at all levels, start, grow and scale to begin to think about what you do with those profits when they roll in. Absolutely. So the third pillar that Mel Abraham was talking about, sorry, the third of his five incomes is about assets. And he describes assets as anything like a rental property or an Airbnb, something that's going to generate wealth where you still need attention, right? You need to be the landlord. You need to make an improvements on the home and take calls. But it doesn't, again, require that exact amount of attention. And it's building for your future, not just current income. And so you obviously knew this yeah. <laughs> because you've created this course. So why don't we start talking about real estate as an investment and why you're so passionate about it? Yeah. So I feel it's important to say that I do own an investment property. So it's not just me talking about it, but I'm actually in the midst of doing it and we're saving up for our second property here, hopefully before the end of the year. But I wrote out three very high level steps when it comes to investing in real estate. And the reason why I'm so passionate about investing in real estate is because it is, I don't want to say it's a surefire because everybody knows the real estate market ebbs and flows, but they're not making any more land. There's no more land that is being made in the world. What is existing is existing. And so if you own something property-wise, house-wise, or just plain old property-wise, if whatever is on that land were to burn down, you still have an asset because they're not making any more land. So that's why I'm passionate. That's the very basic nitty-gritty of why I'm passionate about investing in real estate. But the way that I would go about it or tell someone how to consider it as an option is number one, you have to choose what approach you're going to take. What is your end goal? And I wrote down three examples of different approaches. One being a buy and hold. So you could purchase a two bedroom, one bath house in a great school district that you know would be desirable and just collect rent forever and ever and ever. And you would only be out the down payment because the rent would offset the expenses in the mortgage. Another approach is Airbnb, like you mentioned, and that's what my husband and I are doing now. And a shameless plug for OTs, if you are interested in investing in real estate, you also have opportunity to make a larger impact because you can modify your rental properties to be accessible and to have elements of universal design because there is such a lack of accessible properties for rent. The statistic is 0.15% of all homes in the United States are wheelchair accessible. So I'm very passionate about that Airbnb piece. And then the last one I wrote down is called the BRRRR method, B-R-R-R, which stands for buy, renovate, refinance, and then rent. And the reason that it's buy is you're buying low. So this is a property, a distressed property that you would purchase. You would put sweat equity or pay someone to fix it up. And then you would refinance and then rent it out. So you would use the cash out of your refinance after you increase the property value to take that cash and reinvest it into something else. So those are three very common methods when investing in residential real estate. The next step after you choose which method 
would be to establish what the cost of acquisition. And then if you do have something that needs renovation or furnishings, you would want to include those into your costs so that you know upfront what the cost is going to be. And then the third step sounds silly, but it is so important to sit down with both a real estate professional and a mortgage lender finance representative so that you know what kind of funds you might be able to acquire. So those are very high level and simple, but that is how I would point someone in the direction of investing in real estate. So you just took this idea that entrepreneurs we introduced as like place that they can start thinking about it to how they can actually do it. Yeah. And I actually have an example if it's okay with you. Yes. I'd Uh love to hear one. What I wanted to say there, Gretchen, was like, you just nailed the concrete piece, which is so good. Like you gave us such actionable content to be able to walk away with from that theoretical to action. So that is such incredible value. Thank you. So yes, please jump into your example. Yeah. So I was at a seminar right when I got into real estate and remind you, I got into real estate after maternity leave. So I'm at a seminar with a baby and a husband who has an MBA and works in corporate finance. And the leader of this seminar is one of the most wealthy real estate professionals that is within the Keller Williams organization. And he pitched this idea of buying each kid a rental property. Every kid that you have, you should buy them a house. And I I thought, that's absurd. Are you crazy? Um, Ain't nobody got funds for that. And and (laughs) I just thought, no way. But then when he broke it down, it actually is very, very attainable. And the example that they use, and it's this same example was actually on the Bigger Pockets podcast just recently, which is a podcast all about investing your money. Oh, great. I'm going to, you know, I'm a podcast girl. I'm going to be listening to that. Bigger Pockets? Yeah. So Bigger okay. Pockets actually is the brand, but they have a couple different. There's Bigger Pockets Daily, which is a real estate one that is five to seven minute clips on investing in real estate. And then they have just the regular Bigger Pockets podcast, which is more financial driven. Oh, wonderful. I can't wait. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's a great resource. But the example that they gave on there is a very attainable example. And it's if you were to buy a child or you and a partner or you yourself buy a $150,000 rental home, you would have to assume a 20% down payment. So that would be about a $30,000 upfront investment. Now, right out of OT school, I did not have $30,000 of cash. Mm -hmm. But if this was part of our plan, if this was part of our strategic plan from the get-go, we could have easily saved $30,000 by socking away $1,250 a month Mm -hmm. for 24 months. Mm -hmm. And then we have our down payment for a property. Mm -hmm. So the typical appreciation in the United States is anywhere between three and 5% annually. So that tells me that in 14 and a half years, your $150,000 rental home, which your tenant is paying mortgage and maintenance expenses, by the way, in 14 and a half years, your asset, your home, your rental home will double in its worth. So what came out of your pocket, $30,000, 14 and a half years ago, is now worth $300,000. And so at that point, you can do two things. If your kid is gung-ho about academia and they need cash for school and that's an agreement that you've had with them, at that point, you could sell the home and get the full, if you put $30,000 down, you could get the full 300K that it's worth and take the 270 and gift it to your child 
You could gift the house to the child and not have to pay taxes on it because of that tax code and teach them a lesson on finance and let them do what they please with it from the lesson you teach them. Or you could cash out refinance. And when you cash out refinance, you can take a maximum of, well, currently, I must give the disclaimer that the tax code changes every year with whoever's in office, but currently you can get 80% back in cash, 80% of the value. So if you have a $300,000 home that you paid $30,000 out of pocket, you can get in cash back from that refinance, $240,000, and that will pay for your child's education. So essentially with a $30,000 investment, you can have 240 down the road. And if you do the refinance option as opposed to selling, then the benefits would be that you still own the home. And on that new mortgage, the refinance mortgage, you get tax benefits. So you wouldn't have to, you could deduct that from your income. So that's an example of how attainable a $30,000 down payment on a $150,000 rental home might look. And if you do your research, hire a real estate professional locate an area of town that's going to be desirable where you can maintain reasonable rents, then ideally the tenant would be paying all the expenses time and time again. So while it's not truly passive, like you said, Mm -hmm. it requires some doing your background checks, having great relationships with your tenants. It's essentially running a business within a business, but Mm -hmm. that is my example of how you can pay for a child's education, which is 100, 150, upwards of 200K for four-year university in the United States mm-hmm. for the initial investment of $30,000. That's a great breakdown. And I have so many questions. So I'm not sure if you can speak to this because you are in the States. How does that compare to other international markets? Yeah, that is a great question. And you hit the nail on the head. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And so I I would love to learn. Yeah, me too. I know, for example, in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal or Calgary, where I live in Canada, $150,000 houses don't exist. They definitely exist in the United States. (laughs) Yes. You know, our cost of living is so, so much higher. And I believe that to be true in Europe and Australia. And I certainly can't speak on any definition, but it's an important question to ask as kind of an international rep. And yet I know that real estate is a good investment around the world. I know that's relatively universal. So I'd be curious, we don't have the same education. We like, you know, university doesn't cost that same amount. And yet I'd be curious how that goes across different markets. Maybe that's something that we can talk about in the OTs Get Paid Facebook board after this goes live. So is there a big reward difference between a real estate asset like you're talking about versus a portfolio in terms of a percentage of return on your investment? If you have been following along with the stock market, even a glimpse in the recent months, you would know that the market is extremely volatile. So I do think that, and of course, this is coming from a real estate professional. I do think that the risk is much lower. The reward can be a lot higher with a portfolio, but I think the risk is greater because the market is not a tangible thing. Whereas a real estate investment is a hard, tangible asset, if that makes sense. It does. And so again, I don't have a vested interest in promoting one type of 
investment or another. Mine is really to begin to offer thought behind the idea of what to do with profit and how to build wealth going forward. And Gretchen's here to highlight one of those ways. So that leads me into a question, and you've used that word wealth a couple of times. When did you get comfortable with that word? Definitely not until I was in the real estate space. It is so crazy that growing up, and I think this is true across many cultures, that you are not supposed to talk about money, Mm. finances, job, religion, politics. Yet I joined Keller Williams in the real estate space. And that's all everybody talks about is how much money they make and what are their goals. And at first I was really turned off by it because of the way that I was brought up. Yet I learned to appreciate it because there's a level of accountability that exists when you put it out there, just how much you're looking to make. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who said it, but money is only good for the good it does for others. Mm -hmm. And so that quote, learning that through my training at Keller Williams is when I really decided that I wanted to be wealthy, that I wanted to grow wealth for my family, that I wanted to leave a legacy because money is good for what it does for others. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, in the case of total transparency, one of the people on Team Trish, as I call them, because I have like a life team as well, is a financial advisor I met many, many years ago when I became a single parent and needed to manage everything on my own, which taking over from a former Harvard Business School graduate was a steep learning curve. Absolutely. And I landed in the most beautiful lap of the current financial experts that I use. And they have helped me get on track. But in preparation for this, I actually have scheduled another call with them to talk about increasing my goals. Very cool. Yeah. And I'm pretty... Aggressive is not the right word. Like I am focused. I think that's the word I'm looking for. I've been focused on this for a while and certainly feel so much more empowerment now that I too am making more money and also feel like I have more control. And I know we never really have control, but more control over those first two types of incomes, that active and that business income that Mel Abraham talks about. And all of a sudden it doesn't feel so foreign anymore to say, well, if I can make money on demand, what do I want to make again? And what do I want to make again? And then let's get like really serious about this, Williams. Like what, where do you really want to be at 65? Yeah. And I feel really lucky that I have a team that I can converse with. But I think that's a relevant point to what you were saying. And I too heard, like I used to live in Manhattan many, many moons ago and people talked about that all the time. It was other than Harvard Business School, it was the second place I heard people talking about their magic number. Like once I hit 10 mil, we're like, I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to buy the house in Quag or whatever. (laughs) And again, I just didn't feel like I could be a part of those conversations in any way, shape or form. And I think obviously tone is so much, but kind of taking back that power to be able to say like, no, I can be a woman and no, I can be an OT and no, I can have a finance business partner that I have and feel equity with, like not investment equity, but like equitable equity. Um, And, you know, I share that comment because I want other people to feel empowered to be able to do the same thing. Yeah, that's cool. So let's jump into our rapid fire questions as we wrap things up. 
What is your biggest personal money splurge? Ooh, I read that on there and I will say (laughs) I didn't have a good answer because I am rather frugal. So buying a MacBook Pro when Mm -hmm. I really need one other than I was just sick and tired of carrying around a clunker. That was a huge personal splurge. (laughs) I love it. And you know what I love about these answers is that they are very subjective. Yes. Right. So to somebody else, it's like thousands of dollars worth of shoes and somebody else, it's being able to buy a MacBook Pro when they want to, not just when they need to. Tell me about your biggest business-related expense. We've talked a little bit about it, but let's plug it in here. Yeah, that's happening currently. (laughs) I initially created my own website from, I think, Squarespace, Mm -hmm. and it took me so long. And that's what you have to do as an entrepreneur when you're Mm -hmm. starting up. I had YouTube pulled up on one computer. I had my iPad running with other tutorials, and I was building the website on my husband's computer. And four years in, I decided that in a world of virtual, digital, thanks to COVID being the catalyst, that it was so important for me to have a more professional space. And so I just invested $9,000 for someone to help me build a website and also build a course platform Mm -hmm. um, so that I can launch those e-courses. So that's the largest business expense I've made. And I love that you are modeling that it doesn't have to happen right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I still don't have a website. Yeah, exactly. green light. You have to start with profit. Yeah, exactly. Very smart. Where do you have paid or unpaid help in your life? So leverage is my favorite word in the whole wide world. (laughs) (laughs) Just learning how to find leverage cheap has been a a total lifesaver and I think a lot of good things have come out of COVID, a lot of bad as well. But my favorite example of leverage is the 10 bucks a month I pay for my Instant Cart membership. $10 a month. That's all it costs for someone to go to the grocery store for me, pick out exactly what I tell them to and bring it to my house. So as a mom of two littles, my kids are four and two, that has been like my favorite piece of paid leverage that I've ever paid for because it buys back so much of my time. I love it. Can you give me a few other examples? By the way, I actually started doing that during COVID as well and hope to never go to the grocery store again. My favorite feature is, I don't know if they have this in the States, they have it here, is like it tells you how many hours you saved by not going to the grocery store. Yes. Isn't that brill? Yes. For someone who is number focused and result driven, I'm like, yes, that's right. Tell me again. (laughs) And that is smart marketing. Because they are showing you, we always talk about like promise, process, and price here. So the promise is we're going to save you time. And then they show you exactly, like they close that loop on what they promised you. And, you know, we have funny stories of like how I wanted a bunch of bananas and they deliver one banana. Yeah, that is a flaw in their app. Who would order a banana? (laughs) Exactly. We did have a conversation at our home, but additionally, I do not care. I'm like, oh, well, we have one banana. Like, no one's going to die. And I just saved, according to Instacart, 69 hours this last couple of months. (laughs) Like, mind blown. What are some other examples of finding cheap leverage? I'm fascinated to what other things you've come up with. 
Yeah. So my virtual assistant is amazing. He is mm-hmm. extremely talented. And because of the exchange rate difference between the United States and the Philippines, it's extremely mm-hmm. affordable on my end, yet a really great salary mm-hmm. earnings wise on his end. So that's a win-win. That's the other piece of leverage that I've really focused on. We have someone that cleans our house only once a month because we are very budget savvy, but that is a Saturday that I get to have with my kids instead of sending them to their grandparents and cleaning the house. So yeah, those time back pieces of leverage are some of my favorite examples. In the real estate side of my business, I hired a courier. I used to go put all my signs in the yards and keys in the lock boxes, but that's just drive time that I don't need. It's miles on my car. It's gas. tasks. Yeah. Um, and expenses. Yep. Yeah. So those are examples of things that I've leveraged out that have just given me so much time back. You've used the example that the time is getting you time with your children. And I want to ask you a question about how else you spend your time. Is that time buyback go to your family or go to self-care or does it ever also go to making more money, like spending more time in launching that e-course? Like what do you do with that extra time is my question. I would like for more of it to go back to my family. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just a shame thing because as an Enneagram three, Mm -hmm. I'm just always do, 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 Mm -hmm. doing. And from the outside looking in, I'm sure I'm a great mom. I'm sure I'm a fine mom, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. I would like to spend more time with my kids. And then going back to that Airbnb piece, we bought our Airbnb I'm sure it's nowhere near like what you are describing because we don't have a dock, but it is a little cabin in the woods Mm. on a river here in Mm. Missouri. And that was intended to be a getaway, but we're making so much money off of it. We never get to go. It's always booked. Wow. So it's a great thing. But what was supposed to be maybe like 50-50, family time, 50% investment has turned into going gangbusters. So that extra time is not spent in ways that we had originally planned. Mm -hmm. So I tried to, I tried to improvise. If I'm picking up my kids from preschool and I have 30 minutes, I'll be the spontaneous quote unquote fun mom and just go to the park and tell them we got 25 minutes, let's get our wiggles out. And I'm making sure that I'm climbing on the playground with them. I'm going on the slides, doing all the things, keeping my phone in the cup holder of my car so that I'm not distracted, Mm -hmm. just trying to be fully present with that time. One of the things that money buys or wealth buys is freedom. We talked about that. And it's the freedom to maybe not go to the cabin because there's no time on the schedule when it's that asset is generating revenue for you and money for you, but you can be free in other ways. Right, right. Exactly. So the last question I have is if I could wave my magic money wand and put seven figures into your business right now, what would you spend it on? An investment property on Lake Michigan oh. in Holland. Yep. So Holland, Michigan, the town Holland, of Holland, Michigan. Michigan. Okay. I'm from Southwestern Ontario, so I actually know that's a place in Michigan. Yes. <laughs> Why Holland, Michigan? Because of your husband? Because he's from there? Yes. He went to school at Hope College, which is in Holland. Yeah. And it's just been a, a dream of his to have a vacation home in Michigan on the big lake. So if we could have just a cool $2 million home there that we could rent out to family and friends. It would still generate some income. Mm -hmm. That would probably be what I did with it. (laughs) That sounds like a dream. That's actually one of my dreams too. Mine happens to be in Muskoka. 
Oh, beautiful. In Ontario. So if you want to Google Lake of Bays in Muskoka, north of Toronto, that's where my same kind of value and same kind of setup, that would be where my next seven figures goes as well. Gretchen, thank you so much for today. You mentioned the magic of IG. Tell people what your IG is so that they know how to find you and your website, because I'm sure people would love to take a look at that too. Yeah. So I did mention that I made my own website and it is not very great. So I will give you my new website because it should be launched by the time that this airs. Yep. This is coming out in July. Yep. Yay. So my website is empoweredhomes.com. Not spelled any weird way, just exactly how it sounds, empoweredhomes.com. And then my IG handle is at the GK. One of the things that I love about this interview, as I mentioned at the beginning, is there's so much to be taken from this. It's how you can have different revenue streams. It's outside of the box. It's a non-clinical OT position. It's an example of investing back into your business and why that matters. And it's an example of how you can start to have that wealth mentality or more of that wealth mentality in investing for your future and using real estate as one of those ways of doing so. And this has just been such an incredible lesson for all of us, me included. I've been learning along with. And I just want to say thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you sharing this with everybody. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. This has been OTs Get Paid, recorded live in Studio C. That's Studio Closet. I'm Trish Williams. If you have feedback on today's episode, send us a DM on IG at OTs Get Paid or join our Facebook group at OTs Get Paid. We would really love to hear from you. We'd also love it if you could subscribe and write a review for the podcast. Each month, I'll pick a random review for a shout out to get your name and business on the air. Until next time.